Good morning, everyone. Welcome to week nine. We have had some requests to extend our deadline, our due date for our scratch projects. So that is going to be moved back to Monday, so you have some more time. And we're going to spend time in today's class brainstorming where you're stuck on scratch and things you're still, if there's some things you're not able to figure out where you're, you're stuck on those things, and we'll answer those uh, questions. But uh, we've got a bunch of Pecha Kucha presentations to do, and we also have screencasting to introduce for at least 20 minutes. So that is our, our roadmap for today. Um, please make sure you fill in your attendance for today so that I'll know that you are here. And uh, for the sake of the recording, it's March 9th, 2011 at 11 a.m. And I uh, don't know if any of you, did any of you go to the Heartland Conference, the e-learning conference that was here the last two days? It was actually uh, a re- really good. Um, the keynote speaker, or maybe I don't have that picture up right now. Um, the keynote speaker is Michael Wesch, and he um, is a professor at, at K-State. Does anybody know how to go to the history for your, because I've pulled this picture up before. How do I go to history? The, I thought it was filed. Under file? Or tools. There uh, you go. Yeah. yeah. Thinking, you delete your browsing history there. I think it's a little star. The star? Yeah, like a little, yeah. If you go, there's the history. Ah, and I guess my his- does your history get deleted when you restart the computer? Take it. Yes. I thought I was already. Well, it was Anybody had a circumstance where you could use web screen with somebody to pull up something they didn't realize was important? Yeah. It's always Before you sign something, if you're noticing that somebody's web history has been deleted, uh, this is Michael Flesh, and uh, we're going to just real quickly have a, do a video and a uh, app share today. But um, the video we're going to watch is actually created by Dr. Wesh and his students, and um, it, this particular one has a little over 4 million views. Uh, he's got some that are over 10 million and uh, he's been famous around the world for, for the videos that he's created. <clears throat> we're going to talk today about some of the ways that we're using our, our Scratch resources, and I'm going to have you share with each other some of the things that you have found helpful page, with the Scratch resources that we have available, um, because one of the things that I was finding with our 9 o'clock, uh, 9 o'clock class is a lot of students are not using some of the resources that are here uh, available as far as the Scratch Wiki and the reference guide and things like that. We are very used to a very uh, teacher-directed approach to instruction and a teacher-dependent model of learning. And as, as we learn about screencasting today is another example. There, is so, there are so many possibilities today for things that we can learn when we are self-directed and when we're able to go out and seek information. So this video has, uh, I think it's a pretty strong critique of the, the model of college that we have now. And um, take a look at this and see if you resonate with any of the messages that the students show. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
the, the speaker at our conference and uh, talked about... I had, have anybody heard of the uh, program Vegas by Sony? Anybody heard of that audio program? It's like 40 bucks it starts at, and that's the program that actually he edits all of his videos in, which I thought was pretty amazing. So I included a link to the notes that I took uh, for his second session. I have my, uh, his keynote notes. He's doing a new project with uh, students all over the world. The Mozilla Corporation that uh, has Firefox and creates it has given him $25,000 for some laptops and other camera technology, and they're getting videos from all over the world that kind of turn the tables. So rather than looking at students, they're getting things from the student perspective, asking students to share about their, you know, their perspective on uh, on college, basically, because these are these are mostly um, seniors in college. So th- there was one I won't play. It's called Hands Not Spoons. It's about a three-minute video that somebody in the Philippines had created, um, which was very interesting. So the first part of that video talks about if we learn what we do, what are we learning sitting here? Okay. Hopefully, by using Scratch as one example of a program, you are learning a lot. And how many people are frustrated? Is anybody frustrated? Okay. Uh, that's not as many as we're frustrated in the 9 a.m. class. Uh, if you're frustrated, that's in a way good because you have a real problem to solve and you've got something to figure out and you'll probably remember that answer better than you would if it was just spoon fed to you. So keep those ideas in mind for what questions you have because in, um, in the time when we're looking at our projects uh, and looking at Scratch, we're going to brainstorm those and, and answer uh, hopefully all those questions for you. So, your app share today is Dropbox. Anybody use Dropbox before? Heard of Dropbox? I would say in one of my sessions when I asked about Dropbox, a third of the 50 or so uh, teachers and faculty that were in the room were using it. It's a free uh, program, a lot like Evernote, that stores your stuff out in the cloud. You can upload files to your Dropbox. Uh, In fact, I don't know, maybe we should watch the video. You've been there. You're not. Let me adjust my volume a little bit. <coughs> it is an application that runs on an Android phone or uh, an iPhone or an iPad, uh, but it doesn't require that you run it on a, a mobile device. It also <coughs> to buy lunch and realize your wallet is in your other pants. Or maybe you left your keys at home. The problem is organization. You need one place for everything, like a magic pocket. Putting something in the magic pocket means it's always there no matter what you wear or where you are. The same thing is true for computers. If you have more than one, keeping track of all of your files can be a pain. Solving this problem is one of the big ideas behind Dropbox. It's like a magic pocket, a single, secure place for all of your stuff. Let's meet Josh, who is preparing for a big trip to Africa. Right now, all of his trip info is spread across his laptop, desktop, and phone. He needs to consolidate it all and is tired of having to email files to himself or move them around with a USB drive. Then he found Dropbox, which creates a new kind of folder on his computers. These folders were hard to be exactly alike, even across Macs and PCs. By adding his itinerary to his laptop Dropbox, he can be sure the same file will show up in his desktop Dropbox and even on his phone. The same thing happens when he saves a document in a Dropbox folder. The document gets updated across all of his Dropboxes. But it's not just his computers. The Dropbox website also works to be exactly like his other Dropboxes. Anything he puts in Dropbox is available on the website automatically. This way, if his Jeep takes a dive, 
and his computer is ruined, he can still get to his files on the Dropbox website, where they're always backed up. As it turns out, Josh's safari was a success, and his laptop made a home with lots of videos and photos to share. Instead of emailing everything, he just shared a Dropbox folder with his mom, so she can get copies of photos she wants to frame. Because it works so well for travel, Josh made Dropbox the home for all of his stuff, so it's accessible anytime, wherever he goes. Whether you are traveling the world, running a business, or simply organizing your life, Dropbox means you can stop worrying about managing files and backups and get on with your next adventure. You can download Dropbox now at dropbox.com. So, it's an app, but it's also more than that. So, that is your quick little app share, and uh, you may not have access, and probably won't, to Blackboard or MCT, maybe not even Moodle, if you are in your classroom in a K-12 school, but you can have access to Dropbox, and we've got teachers using Dropbox as a place for students to turn in assignments, because you can use it in that way, where students can put stuff in the box, and then you are able to view it and use it. So, uh, you get two gigabytes free, I've never made from Dropbox and, and use it a lot. I used it last semester when I was at uh, North Texas in Denton. Uh, there were bus schedules that like showed the routes of buses, you know, when they showed up, and I needed it on my phone. How was I going to get that file? Put it in my Dropbox. I went into the Dropbox app, and that PDF was there for me to be able to view. And so that's just one example of how I used it. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Scratch resources and. Um, well, let's do what we'll put that off. Let's do our Pesha uh, Kucha presentation for today, and then we'll, we'll talk to Scratch. Unless you have a question before we talk. Anybody have a, a thought about any of that before we jump to our Pesha Kucha stuff? I think I, I mentioned the date changing for the assignment, right? So I'm going to, this date, we said Friday, is going to go here to uh, spring. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm Chris. I have first questions. I have put something on it, but I guess I didn't even say anything. Okay. Okay. So I will go ahead and uh, message you back if it's missing something or you need to redo it. And if you need to redo it because it messed up or you're like, oh, I didn't have that post. Uh, just send me a message in WebCT and say, can you reset my quiz? And I'll reset it so you can submit it again. Alright, any other schedule related questions? or Okay, let's go to our uh, future uh, presentations and go ahead and go to our peer evaluation. Who would like to go first today? <laughs> <coughs> One of the things we learned last class, a student had done her project or presentation on open office, and open office is great, it's free, but it does not save it um, OpenOffice doesn't save all the pictures inside the file itself. So we ended up having to, she's going to, uh, she's going to save her, she's going to save her presentation as a PowerPoint and then do it next time. If you're not aware of OpenOffice,
Office. That's a great thing to know about because it's free. It's like Microsoft Office, except it's free. And <clears throat> OpenOffice is the Windows version. The Mac version is called NeoOffice. But when you're going to be bringing a file between places, like from your home computer or whatever to your school, you, you might want to choose Save As a PowerPoint. And that way, <coughs> it should have the, the pictures and everything like that in there. So NeoOffice is just the Mac version of it. OpenOffice is really free. And it's basically like the Microsoft Office package with the word processor, spreadsheet, all that stuff. So, Bethany, what are you going to talk to us about today? I am doing my over photography. It's a different type of photography than Damien did. Okay. Awesome. So, it's more photography. So, looks like you have the time's all set. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Here we go. I did mine over photography. I do a different kind of photography than Damien does, so I thought it would be okay if I did mine over photography. I use a technique called painting with light, and it's when you use a low shutter speed on your camera. And like, if you take it, if you take a picture with a regular camera, you hit the shutter button, and it your aperture opens and closes in like one second. But to use Take a picture like this, it's really dark outside, so you can use like a 30 second shutter speed. So you hit your shutter button and it opens. It stays open for 30 seconds, and then you can run on the other side of the camera and you can play with flashlights. For this one, it is, um, this one's two lights. This is me standing in the front with one white light, and my best friend is behind playing with a little yellow light. And if you look close, you can see our feet at the bottom. And if you stay in one spot too long, then your feet will show up. But basically all you do is play. This one, we're in the park in Brokenville, and we're, there's two people on a merry-go-round. There's one person with the red light, and there's one person with the white light. And to get the combination of the white light up here and the white light down here, you use your white light up at the top, and then you turn it off and you move it. This is a night portrait. Um, what I did, this piece lit up with my strobe light. I opened the shutter speed, opened the shutter, and I um, walked up towards him and flashed him with light, and I stepped back. And so he's brighter than the rest of the picture. <coughs> um, this is at the Broken Bell Library. This is the same technique. Um, there's also a technique in this one called the rule of thirds. I know Damien talked about the rule of thirds. But the tray is in one-third of the photograph. And the reason it's green is because of the white balance on my camera. This is a portfolio image from my senior portfolio. I used the same strobe light as I did with tray. I flashed it on Rebecca. And then I went to the other side and I flashed it towards the camera. And that's, what makes, that's what's making the little um, fireflies show up like that. And on this one... It's basically the same thing, except there's a street light behind us, and that's what's casting the yellow light onto the screen like that. I walked around her with the strobe light. I flashed it, like, um, about four times. I went all the way around her, and that's what's making the, the circle around her. This is this was pitch black when I shot it, but the reason that you can see the sky is because it was a 30-second shutter speed, and it let in all of the light. I went back in and I brought her yellow dress out in Photoshop. We almost got arrested by the cops doing this, but they said it was okay. <laughs> this 
is another portfolio image for this semester. Um, the reason it's red is because I had my white balance set to an incandescent light bulb. And when you shoot with an incandescent light bulb, it turns everything orange. And so, well, that's backwards. It turns everything yellow, and so they're trying to overcompensate. This is a picture from last semester. I had to do a fashion shoot and tie it into a literary character. And this was my Alice in Wonderland, and she grew. She took the pill, and she grew. <laughs> I went back in, and I made noise. I don't know if you could tell, but it, there's a little bit of noise extra in there. This is another white balance technique. It was set to overcompensate for a fluorescent light. And so you overcompensate for an, a fluorescent light bulb puts off green light, so you have to overcompensate, and it turns everything blue. This is off of a Holga camera. This is a little toy camera that you use regular 35mm film in. And the reason it's like this is because... There's a little foam sponge that gets caught in your film if you don't take it out. And I forgot about that. I didn't take out my foam, and it got overexposed by the sun when I took it out of my camera. This is just me playing around. You're going to see my feet. I stood there too long, but I just decided I should draw a bicycle because I couldn't think of anything else to draw. And um, all I did was, it's really hard to to figure out where you are because if you lose track of where you are, then you totally screw up. This is at the city park again. There's two people. One's on the swing. You can tell where Trey jumped off because his flashlight beam is over there. But I went underneath while they were swinging and I did some flashlight work underneath. Otherwise, it would have been pitch black underneath. And you can... This is Beaver's Bend State Park. This is where I live. I love my home. <laughs> this is in southeast Oklahoma. And um, that is a little fly fisherman down there. And I never could get him casting, so I just settled for a picture where he's just standing there. But I went back in and did some color work. This one, this is almost all Photoshop. This is like an unsaturated photo. There was like, there were dull colors and everything. So I went back in, I bumped up the red. And I brought out the, the trees. These are cypress trees at the park. I went back in and then I blurred all of the top. This is another one that I did. And you can obviously tell that I missed with the color on this one. I went back in and I darkened the edges. And I blurred out the water in the back. And I brought that tree back out. Or else it would have been blurry too. I went back in. This is a yellow I brought in more yellow. This one I brought in more yellow. That's a bridge in the back. I don't know if you can see it. But probably now this is a foot full of water because the creek was pretty dry this summer and fall. But the yellow back there, that is the river. And these are two little fishermen that I found on the pier. They had no idea how I was out there. I kind of felt like a paparazzi, but <laughs> there was, this was the early morning, and it was very misty, and the sun's coming over the mountain over there. That's why it's really light up at the top. I guess that's it. Do you use, and what do you, like, when you did the bike, was that a special light? That was an LED bike. Oh.
an LED flashlight or like an LED? This one goes with a little bit. Okay. It just depends which color you want. If you want a yellow cap, then you use something just a regular light bulb in it. But if you want one like the bike, it's like, like the one with the, the swing. That's two different kinds of light bulbs. One's an LED and the other one's a regular light bulb. What thing the TikTok did you say that was? It's the beaver spin. It's the end of the town.
Are you giving up
what Coronado does is they take it back and then represent it to them at school a couple days before the end of the year. So that way their school friends and their, all the teachers can kind of appreciate a job well done. Here is a bronze and a silver medal. It has the logo on it and competing athletes. Uh, it's a lot. It's a big pride thing to get a medal. But everybody gets something. Even if you're last place, you get a ribbon of recognition. Here's some athletes being presented their medals. Uh, let's say about that one. It's really, really special to watch him get that. And just, um, volunteers are critical to Special Olympics. There are people who do what I do and come with the schools, and there are also lots of college students that stay and keep the campus going. They serve us food and keep the competition, are there to help with the competitions and the games. Also, the polar bear plunge that volunteers help raise a lot of funds for Special Olympics every year. This is when they go plunging into the icy cold water, like often in the middle of winter. The, the, um, the police and the people involved with the torch run like to do this. They raise thousands of dollars. They're celebrity volunteers like Oklahoma Native and OSU alum Garth Brooks. He has a song called Standing Outside the Flame that's about Special Olympics. And if you watch the music video, it just looks like it could be a video for Special Olympics. Um, he, he often, I've spotted him there before. He doesn't perform, but I've seen Garth Brooks there. Here is a teacher holding up uh, the medals we've won. Well, he's a teaching aide. And he's also wearing the shirt I have on. Our theme was Watch Me and My Eye Be a Champion. Because, and we've created little wee characters or meets for each of the children and the teachers. One of the last things we do before we load them on the bus is take them to stay in the pond and let them run off some energy, feed the geese. This is also on OSU's campus. Um, and also we feed them lunch and we go to Hideaway Pizza. Coronado is very lucky to be have enough money to do this. I, uh, my birthday is falls on Special Olympics every year, it seems like, and so it's one of the student athletes, so his mom is really sweet, and she'll put both of our names on the cake. So I get to celebrate a Hideaway Pizza. But the most important thing to remember is that it's not about us, it's about them. It's about giving them each a chance to feel like a champion and win an award, which is pretty special and they may not ever have an opportunity to do otherwise. And this little girl is so proud of her silver medal. And please support Special Olympics. <laughs> How many years have you been involved? Anybody here, uh, anybody else here has been involved with a volunteer? No, the Air Force Academy has something that they had us all do as freshmen as a freshman project. Uh, they will be hosting special events there in Holly Springs, the Academy, and then everybody had a sponsor uh, athlete that we'll wait for part of the day. It's very common. 
Thomas, and I am talking about year-round schools from a picture-to-picture assignment. Um, it's a current issue in Oklahoma, and personally, I'm for it. So I'm going to talk about some advantages and disadvantages, and then something interesting that I found while I was researching. Um, the idea of year-round school, um, this is a traditional calendar. This is what we've always followed since, like, the 19th century. Um, weekends are not included. So you have about three months off for summer vacation and then back to school, Thanksgiving break, and so on. Um, the term year-round education is slightly misleading because you still have the 180 days for school. It's just more balanced. So you're out for about six weeks of the summer, and then you know you go back to school and fall break. So it's, you can see the, the biggest difference is the summer vacation, and that's what the argument is over. Um, there are two groups that are out there that's, you know, that has the, the best information that I found, and that's the National, Year, uh, the National Association of Year-Round Education and Summer Matters. Um, I found good information on both websites. Um, NAIR, it's, it's more data-based information than subjective like uh, Summer Matters. Um, so... There are several factors that contribute to a summer vacation for kids. I mean, you have to think about the availability that the family has, um, income levels, resources. So that really matters when you think about the summer vacation. But from the beginning in the 19th century, uh, this is where, you know, it started with the traditional uh, school calendar. Um, kids that would learn about the Bible, family, and church kind of rules the school. Um, they were taught to work hard and even harder in the summertime. Um, they spent this time helping their parents on the farm. Um, so that was their summer vacation, basically. Um, they would, this provided uh, food, income, health for the community. But, um, I mean, this is in the 19th century, so obviously it's not where we're at now. Uh, fast forward to now, you can think about the type of things that we do in our summer vacation. If any of you have kids, you know what the type of things they do. Um, not working in the farm, you know. So, the type of, generally what we do in our summer vacation is what I'm going to talk about. is like water parks, amusement parks. Um, you go outside of the country, you know, you're not working hard in a farm or anything like that, or you're not... Um, thinking about math papers, biology assignments, anything. Or you can take an alternate approach to the summer and you can study abroad, um, which is a great opportunity. Um, I know some people had, you know, trips outside of the country that they were showing for their um, education assignment. So that's something that you can take advantage of. And it's an opportunity that you can't get in a classroom, a regular classroom setting. But um, other kids, they sit in front of the computer all day, lounge out, um, you know, kind of relax for their summer vacation. And, um, I mean, they get bored. So, in my opinion, year-round education would be better because six weeks they're out for the summer. Um, you know, they can go back to school, and they'll be out longer for Thanksgiving break than regular. Um, so, like I said, the, uh, year, the National Association for Year-Round Education and Summer Matters have good points. Um, pros and cons for the summer vacation. Um, 
more subjective for the summer matters than the National Association of Year-Round Education. But I mean, summer matters make the point it's hot in the summer. Um, you know, so we have to think about costs for um, air conditioning schools in the summertime. <clears throat> we hear stories all the time where students are fainting and dehydration and things of that nature. And then um, you have to think about, I mean, summer is the chance for kids to be kids, basically. Um, forget about homework and uh, the stress that um, assignments and finals and everything else has. So you can just relax and lounge out. But um, that's the point that the National Association of Year-Round Education makes. Um, you lose your brain. <laughs> uh, you don't, you don't, you know, you forget things. When you come back to school um, after the summer, you know, teachers spend a lot of time refreshing children. And then also crime increases um, during the summer. Kids get bored and they do things like tagging. Um, this is neat also, I think. But um, not supposed to do it. So this happens more during the summertime. Uh, so children like that, they, I mean, year-round education would be beneficial for them as well. Um, but here in Oklahoma City and several other places around the world that, um, you know, after researching, I found that it's more of an advantage than a disadvantage. Um, but, I mean, the bottom line is about education. What is the best way that we can educate our children? What's the best way that they can obtain that information and apply it, you know, so that's what we have to think about. Um, and in this class, we talk about our learning styles and teaching styles and then the uh, rapid um, advances of technology. So that's something to consider when, you know, we go into our careers as educators. Um, this is Douglas High School. This is the only high school in Oklahoma City that is currently um, taking advantage of year-round education. There are six others. There's like four elementaries and two middle schools. Um, but something interesting that I found after researching the topic is that there was a um, vote that was placed in December of last year and um, with the superintendent and the Board of Education. And it was a unanimous vote that um, all Oklahoma City schools, all 78 schools in the Oklahoma City District will progress to year-round education. So.
means that we will start school on August 1st, but we'll get extra weeks for fall break, Christmas, and spring break, and things like that. So I'm actually excited about having more time, you know, because it's not summertime yeah. to be able to do things. I mean, you still get the 180 days. Well, not every state on there, so you can go to the popular places at times that it's not busy. Like if you went to Disney World, yeah. no one's there in October. Yeah. You know, right. September and October, so when you have the break, fall break, and that is the best place to go to because no one else will be there. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's for us. that 
are real that you that can identify with the group of people that feel oppressed because of the way that they were born or because they're different. And these pictures are from my personal collection. Some of them are better than others. Um, they, even when they're faced with adversity, they still persevere, which I think is a great uh, lesson to teach younger children. Uh, like, uh, let's see. Some of the best storylines I've read are theirs. Uh, they have to deal with, I mean, they're right in the middle of a really big conflict, and they they don't really play on either side. They just try to keep they try to keep like dialogue open. They try to keep I don't know people civilized, which I think is really important. And it's rare to find somebody in their situation that they're willing to step aside, like step outside what would really be the easier course, and to just I don't know pick a a faction to go with and just go to war. They decide to be the peacekeepers, which is really inspiring. Um, my favorite character is Storm uh, because, well, she led the team, and she also is a character that's gone through like a lot of changes over the years. Um, I think it's very important if you, like, for you to really get, for me to get involved with the character is they have to they have to do a lot. I don't like anybody that's just, they stick to one, I don't know, scene. They have to change with time. Um, there's a lot of, like I said, complex character development. Um, when they started out, each character had their own, like, look and feel what they were about. But they, uh, they evolved like regular people do. They, their positions change and the way that they see the world changes. And you can see that in the books. Um, I don't know, I just, I mean, they're a really good way to spend time. Uh, like, comparing that to, like, normal literature, uh, they're, uh, they're similar in that you get the same feeling of, like, escaping whatever, like, whatever your situation is, and you're seeing somebody else's world and what they, uh, what they imagine the world should be like, which is really different. Uh, yeah. Like, some of the complex issues they deal with is, like, they have, like, they deal with the relationships between these totally different characters, and they deal with um, social issues like racism and bigotry. Uh, and they, they, they do it, and they make... Like they'll take characters that you that you love and you feel like you know, and they can put them in situations that you can relate to in your own life and apply how they reacted and how you, know, you can learn from their reactions. Uh, I just think it's a really good way for kids to get excited about literature. And I mean, when you feel when you're reading a comic, it doesn't feel like you're reading like a book. But in a lot of ways, depending on what you're reading, you are, because you're learning about like plot and like themes, uh, allusions, all this other stuff. Uh, one of the best books I've ever read was God Loves, Man Kills, and it was a 1980s uh, Uncanny X-Men story, and it dealt with. Um, 
the ride, and it, they have cultural like uh, impacts on the time that they're written as well. But it dealt with the rise and televangelism, and that they did it as an aspect where a reverend had taken an anti-mutant position, and he was using his position of power to uh, oppress these people, which I thought was really incredible. Um, so, that's fine. Picture, picture. Oh, wait. Okay. I got another slide. So, yeah. It's just, a, I mean, if, if you have, like, whatever your taste is, you can probably find a book that reflects that and something that, I don't know, that you would want to keep up with. And it's, I mean, it's, uh, they're cheaper than books, too. And it's, I mean, you also get this incredible artwork.
And, um, you know, in the old days, so to speak, you probably had a chance to maybe read the book or just check out from the library. It was just, it was different. Now, you know, it can be something that anybody's written about anything. And so that's really different. So my wife and I, um, we have, every once in a while we'll check in. Like just last night, he was sitting on the couch um, reading. And I was just like, very little control. And we, you know, we've had conversations about history and different things. I mean, it's, it's wild. You used to say, never, you know, put a computer in your bedroom or whatever. But, you know, if you've got a PSP or a DSi or whatever handheld game that access to wireless and does other things, you got to be communicating, you got to be talking, and you got to be, you know, checking it out and seeing what's happening. Because, you know, I asked about the ratings, and I didn't know the comic books, but I mean, there's no real ratings on these kind of things. So there's also um, quite specific line comics. Yeah, right. You know, it's like going to be a mature yeah. track and more yeah. of a kid track. And things like that. Yeah. Well, I think the comics are great, and you've inspired me to think about there's some apps, so maybe I'll do an app share. Um, with different uh, comic creators, and there's an elementary teacher I know, um, Kevin Hodgson, who loves to, he's a great artist and drawer, you know, um, he likes to draw and likes to bring comics into his class and also have students create comics and, and bring that into the writing process. So maybe we'll and there's also like a lot of like, um, I mean, there's stories like the stories where do you go to get comic books? Are there good, uh, like, used comic book stores up home city? Um, there's All-Star Comics, and uh, there's another one like, um, for it. They use it, like, they have them at, like, Borders. Like, oh, yeah. And you can buy them at Okay. But War Acres has a, a good used comic book? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a new age. It's a kind of a rat, but it's a lot. And they also sell them at Vintage Stock. What's Vintage Stock? It's, a, it's like a store where you can go buy like all video games and Okay, with a round of applause for Jacob. Anybody else ready to go today? Um, really neat things. The first place that we usually stop in Waldrop 
which is um, located on Interstate 90. It was started in uh, 1931 by Ted Houston, who was a pharmacist. Um, it's a really small town, so he was struggling to figure out how to get people to stop. So his wife suggested um, giving away free ice water to the travelers who were um, heading to Mount Rushmore. This is my fiance's daughter, Taylor. She is on the Jackalope, which uh, South Dakota is very famous for. Um, this is part of the backyard in um, Waldrop. They've got all kinds of things you can take your picture on. They've got um, um, a big giant T-Rex who makes noise and plays music. And that's Taylor, my sister, there, and another one of the little um, things you can take your picture with. She really enjoyed it. It's a really good thing for kids. There's lots to look at. They also have souvenir shops and a little restaurant, and they've got a big gallery of historical photographs that are really neat, and so they, we all really enjoyed that. Um, Waldorf's famous for their signs. They have signs everywhere. They have signs um, on 500 miles of um, I-90 from Minnesota to Montana. They've got signs in um, Paris. There's signs in Kenya, Africa, um, pretty much everywhere they have signs. They spend $400,000 a year. Um, doing their signs. So. Then the next stop is Badlands. The Badlands are um, located just west of Wall, and they're known um, as the Badlands because they were hard to travel across. And the Lakota people call them Makasika, which means Badland in um, Lakota. It's 240,000 acres, and it's the eroded buttes. Um, they say <coughs> that they erode about one inch per year. So it's one of the... Um, world's greatest um, fossil beds, and they find um, ancient um, rhinoceros, cats, dogs, horses. No dinosaurs, but they do find some um, reptiles. Um, Black Hills National Forest is a um, national forest. It's 1.25 million acres. It's mostly ponderosa pine, which from far away look black, so that's why it's called the Black Hills. There's 30 campgrounds and 450 miles worth of trails. It's home to many um, national parks, Jewel Cave, Mount Rushmore, Wind Cave, um, the Black Elk Wilderness. Um, there's all kinds of animals who live here. There's elk, deer, pronghorn. There's also mountain lions, which are coming, um, getting more and more because the deer populations are growing so much. And bighorn sheep and mountain goats, which I've seen the mountain goats and the bighorn sheep, and they're really cool. So then the next stop is Mount Rushmore which is um, the 60-foot sculptures of Washington, Jefferson, Roosevelt, and Lincoln. It was began in 1927 and finished in 1941. And the sculptor was a man named Gibson Borglum, and he was born in 1867 and trained in Paris. He was a follower of Rodin. He is also known for a sculpture that he did at Stone Mountain for the Daughters of the Confederacy. It was supposed to be of um, Jefferson Davis. He never completed that project. He got into an argument with them, and so it was never finished. This is the mountain before um, it became Mount Rushmore. It is um, known by the Lakota as the Six Grandfathers, and it was renamed after Charles E. Rushmore, a New York lawyer, in 1885. He went on an expedition there, and they renamed it after him. Um, to make the mountain, they used dynamite and jackhammers and chiseling, and nobody died, so that was really good. Um, this is the new entryway. It's got the flags of all 50 states and plus the territories. This was finished in 1998 before. It was just like a dirt path. It's really nice. Now they have a really nice visitor center and... Um, pretty neat. This is my sister. 
My fiance daughter, my fiance. Um, Taylor was five, I think, when we went, and she was really impressed. She said it's so much bigger than on Phineas and Ferb because she'd seen it on TV, and so it was really cute when we drove up, and she liked that. Um, they've got a really good gift shop with really good fudge, so if you ever go, you have to get the fudge there. Um, there's a trail that goes all the way around the bottom. There's kind of little caves that you can get into and um, take pictures. It's neat to see it. Um, just from, you know, different angles and stuff. And this is the presidential trail, and it's a half a mile trail. So it's pretty pretty easy to walk through. This is Harney Peak. This is the fire tower on top of Harney Peak. Harney Peak is the highest point west of the Rockies in the United States. It's 7,244 feet. You can hike up that. There's several different trails. The one that I did when I went was the Sylvan Lake Trailhead, and it's six miles total. Um, Carney Peak's the site of Black Elk's Great Vision, if anybody knows anything about Native American history. Um, Deadwood is um, probably one of the most famous cities in the Black Hills. This is Deadwood in the 1890s. It was founded as a mining town. It was home to saloons and brothels and really a wild west town. Um, this is Deadwood today from um, the Mount Moriah Cemetery. This is the Franklin Hotel here in the middle. It's one of the most famous hotels in Deadwood. And, and it um, has hosted Theodore Roosevelt, John Wayne, William Taft, and several other famous people. Today, Deadwood's mostly known for gambling, and they use the revenue to um, maintain their horse historical aspect. This is the grave site of Wild Bill Hickok in Mount Moriah Cemetery. He was a, a scout, a marksman, and a gambler. He went to the Black Hills to find gold, and he was killed in Deadwood while playing poker by Jack McCall. He had the aces and eights, which is the dead man's hand. Um, Calamity Jane is buried next to Wild Bill. She was another Wild West figure. Um, she worked at one of the brothels in Deadwood, and after McCall killed Hickok, she went after him with Cleaver. She's buried next to him as a joke because she died after Hickok and his... Um, friends buried her next to him because he had no use for her while she was alive, so they wanted to play joke on him after they were both dead. Thank you. 
Yeah, you yeah. couldn't get to anywhere near it. Mm -hmm. like, now you can get it. How is the, um, is it something that they're doing the, uh, the Native American carving is huge? The crazy part. The crazy part. How is that coming? and I run a licensed home daycare and it's a before and after school program during the school year. So I just wanted to show you some of the things that go on in a licensed home daycare program. When I like doing the before and after school program because then I get to go to school during the day, so that works out great. Okay, this is, um, I, I really believe in learning through play. And this is some of the children playing with blocks. Justin really likes trains, so he's 
made a track for his trains, and they say children that play with blocks usually have very good math skills. And um, let's see, a lot of you probably know yesterday was Mardi Gras. We always celebrate the Mardi Gras, so I wanted to include this. One of our favorite things we do at Mardi Gras is how that we have a king cake, and whoever gets the baby and their cake, the tradition is they get to be the king or the queen of the party. And in Louisiana, they also have other traditions with the king cake. This is a teddy bear tea party, and um, the children get to create their own place cards. They create their own placemats, and they get to bring their animals. They work on social skills and um, things like that. And in the summertime, I get to have the children all day. One summer, we did a program called Ragdolls to Love, and I actually took the children to the fabric store. They picked out their fabric. They made their own dolls. The older children helped the younger children. And um, then we had these dolls were shipped off to children who have no children at all. Some of the dolls went to a Ronald McDonald house in Florida, and some of the dolls went to um, an orphanage in Romania. It was a great project for the kids to get involved in helping other children who do not have toys. Um, the outside play is a big part of the summer program. Here the kids are playing a game that's called a super soaker game. Um, you can't actually see it, but they have like a little plastic tag on their swimsuit with a sticker, and they're trying to squirt the stickers off, and we play the girls against the boys, and they just love doing the games outside like that. And since it's a lot of older children I watch, we do a lot of field trips. This is a field trip to Heyday. It's on I-35 and Tecumseh Road. And the first picture is my daughter Tiffany. She works here at Heyday. They have a new ropes course, and my daycare wanted to go out there and play on their ropes course. This is the Jasmine Moran Children Museum in Seminole. Um, they get to play. Everything's hands-on. There's the bubble room. There's the grocery store, the art center and the garage where they actually get to um, take the tires off the car and work on the cars and things like that. This is the Martin Park Nature Center, which is one of my favorite field trips because it's totally free. And it's out of Memorial Road. There's nature trails. There's a bird wall that you can observe the birds behind. Um, the children love to play in the creek in the back. And this is the Cowboy Hall of Fame. A lot of people do not know, but at the Cowboy Hall of Fame, they actually have a kitty corral, which everything is in there is for the kids to play with. They have a dress-up center where the children can pretend like they're on the frontier. They have a reading center, and everything in there is just totally for the kids. I also like to take the kids to Turner Falls every summer because, for different reasons, a lot of children do not really get to get out and play in the sand or the water or the lake like this. They get to take a picnic lunch and just enjoy socializing and spending time together and experiencing nature. Okay. Um, each summer we have a different theme. This particular summer our theme was fairy tales. So we ended the summer with a fairy tale ball where they got to dress up like their favorite character. And they got to have a party and they got to have a dance and um, we ended it with a scavenger hunt through the neighborhood with two different teams where they got to look for items that they learned about doing the different fairy tales that we read during the summertime. 
And they had rice krispy treat gray ones as one of their snacks. Okay, then in this, as the fall comes, we always go out to the pumpkin patch every year, get our pumpkins, and come back and carve them. Um, and then Monica turned her pumpkin into a kitty cat. And um, at the pumpkin patch, we go on the hayride, and they get to get their own pumpkin. Okay, our daycare likes to do a lot of art. Here, the children have um, made turkeys out of paper bags. And they, out of paper plates, they made feathers and painted them how they wanted to. And then they took them home for Thanksgiving dinner to serve the rolls out of. So the family's got to use them. Some of y'all may remember making gingerbread houses in school. This is one of the kids' favorite activities every year because it's a totally creative project. There's no way they can do it wrong. They just have a milk carton, icing, and graham crackers and candy and get to put it together however they want to, and they can take it home. Here's our winter party this year. The girls dressed up, one of the girls, as Mrs. Santa Claus, and I just give them red and white and green tissue paper and let them do it however they want to. They even made a little cookie sheet for her with cookies on it. The boys were dressing up Santa, but they didn't get their project finished. <laughs> My, my daycare also runs a program called Kids for Christ, and we go to, for the past five years, we go to a local um, elementary school before school, and here is our Christmas play. The older girls are the narrators, and the younger children are actually acting out the play. So this, I hope all of you guys now have an idea of how an after-school program can help children socially, emotionally, physically, and cognitively. So, and this photo here was taken in my backyard. So, you know, where do you get your inspiration for creative ideas? Just everywhere. <laughs> did you um, grow up um, working in a daycare, or did you, what caused you to want to have your own? Well, when my own two children were little, I went to take home with them. Other comments you have? That's really cool that you do all that because I know all school-based daycares kind of have a bad reputation for spending with them. But um, you can do a lot of them. I kind of want to go to the That's what I thought too. It's a great example of so many creative ideas. And one of the wonderful things there is, you know, you have so much freedom. That's one thing that I actually seek out. One of the reasons I enjoy teaching this class is because they give us a little freedom about what we choose to include and how we teach it. And anyway, it's obvious that your creativity gets to blossom in that environment because you have freedom. Um, not all you know, situations are like that as far as being able to have some, some freedom. So it's great to see. Any other thoughts or comments? All right, other hand up here. Thank you for the evaluation. And anybody else?
Actually, I'm going to like, correct myself and try and get it done in 15 because um, I want more time to talk about uh, scratch questions that we might be lost. With. So, here we go. Um, on our. On our page for screencasting, we've got some different links and some different examples. Um, what are who's learned something from like watching a YouTube video here? What have you all learned how to do from YouTube? What's something you've learned? How to make hearts out of straws? Oh, how to dye hair with Kool-Aid? Okay, got to be careful when it comes to body changes and things that we recommend. But did it work? I didn't try it. Okay. So, anybody else learn anything? Okay. Troubleshooting, right? Because if you have a question, likely that somebody else has had it before, too. So, um, lots of things on YouTube, of course, aren't screencasts. But Wikipedia defines a screencast as a digital recording of the computer screen's output. So, you do not have to have a camera, and the screencast will do for our assignment, which are going to be short, probably one to two minutes is all, are going to just be recording the screen and your voice talking. Some screencasts will have video as well, but you don't have to have that in there. So there's a lot of different tools for screencasting. Um, the, this little video basically is a little introduction, and this guy is using, uh, I think it's expensive, a $100 program, and he's also recording his, his uh, face. So don't think you've got to record. In fact, you won't for this class uh, record your face, but this is just a little quick demo. A lot of people ask me how I make my screencasts. Um, basically, I use a program called ScreenFlow. It's only for the Mac. It allows you to record, um, edit, and publish videos. It's only $99. It's pretty cheap. You can add text. You can zoom in. You can zoom out. You can add music. You can fade out. And you can fade back in. So check it out. It's ScreenFlow. And I'll include the link below. Okay, I think that's pretty expensive. We're going to use a free tool that's called Screener. But down here, as you scroll down, um, I've got links to different tools, and there's three different free tools that I have linked. Screener is the one I'm going to demo today. Jing is a free tool that lots of folks use. It runs on Windows and Mac. It is a program like Scratch that you download to your computer, run it, and then you take the file and can upload it to their site or somewhere else to share. So lots of people are using Jing. Out at Western Oklahoma State College in Altus, they're doing tons of screencasting with Jing with their faculty. Screencast-O-Matic is another example that's free. You can log on their account, and you have a certain amount of free space that they give you, but uh, that's a free tool. I have the link to ScreenFlow that, like you said, is $100. On the Windows side, Camtasia is one of the best uh, commercial screencasting programs. I want to say it's about $100. At our eLearn conference this week, uh, some people were demoing, uh, doing sessions on Adobe, if I can spell right, Captivate. This can be really expensive. Like, I think it can be, you know, $300 or something. But it's also really fancy. So you can just, you know, do tons of stuff with the screencast. So what are the reasons to screencast? I've got a few listed here. You can explain a skill of concept. Avoid the need to constantly repeat yourself. That's one of the things I try to do in this class is if I've got a you know, question that somebody's got, somebody else has it, why don't I record a screencast, then I can send you the link to that. Maybe that'll 
do a better job of explaining it um, than, than I could. Who's heard of the Khan Academy before? Have I talked about that in this section? So everyone doing anything with math should know about the Khan Academy. This is Bill Gates' favorite example of a technology to talk about. And why is the Khan Academy so amazing? Well, um, there's now over 2,100 videos recorded about all kinds of things relating to algebra, relating to biology, banking and money, calculus, all of this. And so let's take a look at the first half of this video, which was on PBS NewsHour, with the founder, Salman Khan, talking about his project. Now, the story of a young man teaching math to the world. NewsHour correspondent Spencer Michaels reports. So this is a, a quadratic equation, essentially. We're trying to find the zeros of this. This disembodied voice is heard every day by tens of thousands of students struggling with math, both in the U.S. and around the world. So what is x squared plus 4x plus 4? Well, that's uh, x, x plus 2 times x plus 2. My first 33-year-old Salman Khan recently quit his job as a hedge fund analyst to devote himself to an unpaid job teaching math on the Internet. Welcome to the presentation on basic addition. And what you're thinking, these are cancers or cancer cells. Is the investors in the mortgage-backed securities He has posted 1,200 lessons on YouTube, which appear on an electronic blackboard and range in subject from basic addition and advanced calculus to science and finance, and they are free. Introduction to trigonometry, is where I teach people about the trig functions. This is one of the more popular videos. This has 179,000 views, and you know this is just what, what sine, cosine, and tangent are. Khan lives in California's Silicon Valley with his wife, a rheumatologist in training at Stanford, and their new baby. He got the idea for Khan Academy four years ago when he taught a young cousin how to convert kilograms to grams. Many American students have trouble with math, and studies show they lag behind their counterparts in Asia and Europe in both math and science. With Khan's help, his cousin got good at math, and he eventually had a new career tapping into anxieties around the world. Now he records his lessons from a converted closet in the back of his bedroom. Okay, so that's only like two minutes of that video, but that's a great video you can check out that tells more background about the Khan Academy. Personal story, my son is in algebra this year. He came home early this uh, year and needed to do least common multiple. Anybody remember how to do that? I don't. So what did I do? I knew about the Khan Academy, and so I searched for least common, and sure enough, here's the video, and he comes in and starts explaining. do some practice least common how multiple. How to do some pra- least common multiple. What did my son say after watching this? Hey, Dad, that's not how my teacher did it, but I kind of understand that better. And so, yes, there's different ways to do different math problems, and sometimes the way that our teacher explains it might not you know, connect with us the best, and somebody else can explain it better. So, does this mean all math teachers are out of jobs? No, it doesn't. Does it mean we don't need to have math class at school? No, I don't think so. But it definitely means anyone who's taking a math class in, let's say, middle school or high school should know about this, because these are all free, they're all available on YouTube, and if your school is still not allowing students to have access to YouTube, you know, we got to do something about that because it's crazy, um, the level of censorship that we have in schools today. And there's, of course, trash on the Internet, uh, and we need to filter 
but we've got to open the door to this kind of potential because now, I mean, when that video with PBS was recorded, 1,300 videos, there's over 2,100 videos now that are available. So we're going to learn how to make a screencast. Um, I'm going to show you one more little video on flipping your classroom. I actually recorded this on my iPhone in October when I was up in Michigan. And this is Dale um, Azinga, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's a biology teacher, and he's going to talk about how he uses screencasts to really transform the way he teaches chemistry. All right. So, Dale, tell us about this crazy and uh, innovative model of flipping things. You bet. When I started doing podcasts, I use it for things that are skills. So I teach chemistry, and one of the skills is naming. And so how do you learn a skill? You have to understand how to do it, and then you need to practice it. And you need to know whether or not you're doing it correctly or not. In the old method, when it was just me and a board, I would explain it. I'd do a few examples on the boards. Kids would go home, and they'd practice it. They found out the next day whether or not they had done it correctly. That's kind of like giving a kid, okay, watch me shoot a basket, and now I want you to go home and shoot baskets, and I'll tell you tomorrow if you did a decent job. Instead, what I can do is I still give a traditional lecture, but I go through maybe just one example. A lot of kids will come to that, but not all. And then I'll do podcasts for skills where they can watch me do examples and explain it, and they can watch that as many times as they want, and they can stop it, they can replay it. Some kids learn just from that. Other kids use that in addition to the lecture. And then in that process, um, that's a portion of my class. Then the rest of the class, I'm going around and I'm tutoring kids. I've got a question. How did they do this? And I provide them through the computers. I provide them the answers right away. I tell them, don't do the whole sheet and then find out you did it wrong. Do three or four, check your answers. Three or four, check your answers. And what I used to do outside of class, come in early, come in before school or after school so that I can help you more, I'm doing that in class now. The lecture part of it, the examples, can happen outside of class. And especially if you were sick, you can still get that information. And so what used to happen in class is now located in a computer. What I used to do outside of class, the tutoring, the thing they really need me for, one-on-one, that's happening inside my class. Okay. And that's really exciting. And um, So this is called a flipped classroom model. I've got a couple other links on here if you want to read some more. Uh, and I've got five minutes. Um, Carl Fish, who uh, is in Colorado, uh, was covered by Dan Pink, an article, and then Jonathan Bergman and Aaron Sams are in Overland Park, or uh, Woodland Park, Colorado, and have a whole thing called educational vodcasting. For kids that don't have a computer at home, they just burn a DVD and give the kids a DVD of the screencast so they can play it on their DVD player at home. And so that has worked for them pretty well. Um, Holland, Michigan, where Dale teaches, is a private school, uh, one-to-one laptops. They've had them for four years. We're not all there yet, but there's more and more ways for kids to be able to access the Internet. And so that's one example of how screencasting can be used. What I'm going to teach you how to do is how to use this program called Screener, which is free. And you are going to have two weeks after spring break to do your project. So this isn't going to be due right away. You will need to create a Twitter account if you don't already have one, because Screener requires you to log in with Twitter. So... We will probably talk a little more about Twitter before the semester is over. It's a great place to make a connection with different people um, who are 
you know, sharing things, not just personally, but I have a lot of uh, folks I learn from all the time with Twitter. But we're going to join Twitter so that we can uh, record here. Here's how it works. I have plugged a microphone, a USB headset, into this computer. And that, after spring break, I'll check out the tub of microphones and make those available uh, in class. A mic costs about maybe $10 to buy. A lot of laptops now come with them. You know, they'll have a built-in maybe webcam too, as well as a mic. But any any microphone will work. Once you're logged in, you're going to click the button that says record, and you do not have to have any software uh, on your computer that it, you know downloads. It just loads up as this you know window. This all runs, I guess, on Java. And what I'm going to do is uh, screencast about uh, Scratch. So think of something you want me to explain how to do in Scratch. I'm going to make a screencast of that right now. We didn't brainstorm yet. You do not have to do a screencast about Scratch. If there's something else that you want to tell people about, you can. But I think it'd be great to do one about Scratch. We've been learning about it, and um, it'd, it'd be a good thing to do. So I'm going to put my headset on. You can see the little monitor level there as it goes up. Yay! That means that my mic's working. Uh, you can click here, and if you... Don't see the level changing when you think you're talking into your mic. You can see the different devices that are plugged in, and you might unplug it, plug it in again, or you have to play with your settings a little bit. But I'm ready to roll now, so give me a topic. What's a, what, where's a place you're stuck on scratch, something you'd like to see me explain how to do real quick? Anybody think of a, something? I have, I wanted to, I had a sprite that I wanted to, it changes costumes every two seconds, and oh. it moves at the same time. Okay. And Okay, how to walk, talk, and um, move. That's a good question. And I, I use, like, like, the repeat block, and I put the change costumes and the walking in there. Right. But, like, I, I, I don't know. Okay, well, here's a good example that, like, you need to figure out what you're going to say before you start your screencast. So um, let's talk through this one a little bit, and then I'll, I'll give it a shot. So... Um, we want to design this for initial conditions, and we, one of the things we talked about in last class was show and hide. Not everybody was clear as far as how you can, you know, get your sprite to, to not be on the screen if you've got two or three sprites and you just want to start out with one. So you might start out by saying, I want it to show, and then you can also um, do the position of where you want it to go. So maybe I want him to start in the corner, so that's, what is that, minus 178, minus 102. So this is going to be my initial conditions. All right, I want him to show, and I want him to be there. Um, or maybe I can have him go there first and then show, whatever. Okay, so you want him to walk, talk, and what was uh, the third thing? Change costumes. And change costumes. Okay. So um, walking, um, we could have him glide. Or, or no, I guess you're, if you're, you're the one to do the animation. Yeah, I did the repeat, and then... Okay. All right. So we're going to need him to move some steps. Um, and then what? what's costume going to be under? What category? Looks. Looks. All right. So let's um, see if we could do next costume. Um,
Okay, I'm not going to be doing this in 10 minutes. <laughs> um, all right, so move 10 steps, next costume. Help me out. What else do we do? I think if you want him to, um, are you wanting him to speak like this, like the hello? Yes. Okay. But I wanted to stay on there the entire time it walks. Okay. So you, can't you just say such and such for how many seconds, but you just leave it on there the whole time? That's what I did on I think it won't move, though, until that two yeah. seconds is up, right? Exactly. And that's what you want it to do, is you want it to keep keep going. So, um, hmm. And if I put it in repeat, it, it like, shows up. But it's, but it's, yeah, I don't want it to flash. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, okay, so we're just all, this is problem solving, right? This is like, how can you figure out, my first thought was yours. Let me have another sprite, and that sprite will, will say the word, and I'll use a broadcast when, when I want that to happen. So, aren't you smart? Yeah. <laughs> okay, maybe so. All right, so this takes us to the broadcast flag. So um, we're going to need to have a broadcast. So let's just say that he's going to broadcast, um, you know, start um, the show, whatever. We could do scene one. I don't know if this is gonna if this will be the way to do it or not. Okay, so when this one instead of the green flag, like when you want him to just to talk right away and for it to stay or okay. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, what I was about to say is I don't know that I need to use this when I receive because if it's going to just go right from the beginning, they, they, it could both be when the green flag is clicked, I guess. Okay. I don't know. What is that going to do? Yeah, look at that. <laughs> I'm excited. Sorry, that was a little girlish. Wasn't it? It's okay. We get excited when we figure stuff out. Um, so really that doesn't I don't even have to use a broadcast there I could just have that as another action that it's going to do this is probably going to do the same thing and since you don't have anything else going on but when you get more detailed into it you might need it as a different broadcast yep and so the broadcast could come in there alright so the other thing you wanted him to do was what uh, change costume Change costume. Okay, which we got it. We got him changing yeah, costume. Yeah, so he's talking. He's moving. Yeah. Sweet. He's walking. He's talking. Okay. Let's throw this away. And I'm going to go ahead and record my screencast and try and recreate that. So what you want to do first, of course, is plan what you want to say. Okay? Make your plan. Figure it out. You know, write that down just like you do for your Pecha Kucha. And it's not a bad thing to have to start over, right? Because the more times you do it, the better you'll do. And, and I would say do these for your project. We'll have some requirements after spring break. More than 60, more than 60 seconds, you know, don't just do like, here's how you go to the start menu. <laughs> I'm done, you know. That's not enough. So do something that's at least a minute long. But don't do something, you don't have to do something that's five minutes long. You know, you can do something that's, that's two minutes long. And it doesn't have to be super complicated. But when I'm ready, I hit the record button. Three, two, one. Hi, this is Wes Fryer, and in this screencast, I'm going to explain how to 
have your sprite do several things at once, like move and talk and change costume. So currently we've got the cat here, and when the green flag is clicked, basically it just goes to this spot and it's going to show him. So those initial conditions are going to happen. So I'm going to um, have a loop that's going to repeat, and in that loop I'm going to have him move a certain number of steps, and then to change costume I will just say next costume inside the loop. And so I could make that repeat 20 times or so, and that is going to make him um, actually, you know, look like he's animating. Now, the challenge that we had was how do we get him to talk and move and, and change his costume at the same time? And the, the way you get him to talk is by pulling out the say block and to say hello. But if we pull this out and just put that in this loop, it's not going to work. It's going to wait two seconds every time. And so he is looking like he's in super slow motion. So that, that doesn't work. So what we're going to do is drag that block out. And then instead of having it in this script, we're going to have this happen simultaneously. And I had originally thought, do this in another sprite, but it can do go here. So now when we click the green flag, he keeps on talking and... Um, That is happening at the same time that his, that his motion is happening. One other thing that uh, you know came to mind as a thought: the broadcast flag is a really important flag that can cause they can let you do things, trigger actions in different sprites and even in the same one. So uh, we can say you know start running, and that can be the broadcast. It's like the scene, and then this can be triggered when he receives that. So when he receives um, the start running broadcast, then he's going to say, let's say, I'm tired. Okay? And maybe we could do this uh, differently. Maybe we could have him run 20 times. Remember, you can always right-click and duplicate a script, so I can get that script again. So he's going to run along. Then we're going to do this start running, which is now mistitled. So maybe that should be... Um, I'm tired. Okay. So when he receives, and the name doesn't matter, it's going to work either way. But he's going to run a little bit, then he's going to start to say he's tired, and so he's going to say that while he keeps running. Let's see if that works. <laughs> okay. Um, and then maybe we can change uh, where he's pointing, and um, let's, let's point him um, up to the corner. So instead of 90... Let's point him at a 45-degree angle and see what that is. Okay. And then maybe, uh, I don't know, we could play with that some more. But you get the idea. So in the same script, we are, uh, the same sprite, we can have multiple triggers, and that can allow an event like talking which, or, the, or the speech bubble to show up along with other actions and motions. Okay, I hit the pause button. So that was three minutes and 32 seconds. If I did that again, I bet I could do it in less than three minutes. So it's not a bad thing to have to you know, mess up and do it again. There's a trash can icon right here. I could trash it. I can um, you know, just start over. When I click Done, it will go back to the web page and give me a preview. And so I can click Hi, on. this is Wes Fryer. And, I can and in this screencast, I explain how to have your... This is not published yet. This is just a preview. 
It's recorded on my computer and it's showing it in the web page, but it's not on the web yet. Once I'm sure that I want it, and you can see here that everything that I move, you know, all the movements of my mouse, all that, it's captured. Everything that was in that window. So basically set up your computer screen so that you've got the, you know, window sized where your, where your window is. All right, you can, you can change that up because it's only going to get the stuff that's inside the window. When you're done, um, you'll put a title. And how should we title this? Um, how to make a sprite... Uh, yeah, walk, talk, and change costume. Well, or an animate. So how about this? How to make a uh, sprite move, um, animate, and talk in Scrap. All right? Now, I'm not going to tweet this out. I'm just going to post it. And what this is actually doing right now is converting the file from my computer uh, and putting it up on the web in a Flash version and an MP4 version, which means it will play on an iPhone or an iPad. And it is going to give me a link after it is you know, finished with this little publishing timeline. So when it's done and I click Share, it has a link and it has an embed code. And I can put that on my blog post. And that's how you'll turn this assignment in, is you're just going to have a blog post. Now, this is not due for two weeks, so I want you to think about topics that you might want to do. And if you want to do something in Scratch, that's great. But I had some people ask in the last section say, I don't want to do Scratch. I said, okay, that's fine. But it's something that you can do if you want. Uh, do you get a hard copy of the video also if you want to publish it to Great question. Well, it gets even, it's even better than that. So... Uh, I've got a link here that goes to my screencasts that are on, and you do. So here is the screencast I did last class period. Notice that I can download the MP4, so I have the file. If I've got YouTube credentials already set up, I can click here, and it will immediately publish it to YouTube, where you're going to have a lot more traffic and people will see it. When I click this share link, that's where you get the URL, the direct link, and then you get the embed code um, that you can copy. So this is what it looks like when it is finished. And that's, you know, screencasting with Screener. So, um, and then now this one is done. Ta-da! Okay, so I've got my link. Uh, it is completely up to you. You can use an alias and be hidden. You don't have to use your uh, real picture. You don't have to use a picture at all on Twitter. Um, you know, set it up however you want. You can actually change your Twitter ID later if you decide to use your name. Back in, like, the mid, you know... 90s and, well, not going back that far, maybe mid-2000s, everybody was scared to use their name online. Oh, my gosh, people are going to come kidnap me if I'm using my name. Well, now we realize digital footprint, people will Google for us. It's good to have professional things out on the web that represent us. But this is also kind of a sandbox. You're trying this out. It's totally up to you. You know, if you want to use a Twitter ID that's TweetyBird, 535, you know, 5856, you can do whatever you want to with your ID. Um, I'm not... You know, concerned about that, but we do have to have a free Twitter account to use the free site screener to create that. Okay, I think I have two minutes. So, what is a, um, let, does anybody have another burning question? I've got, there's a couple things that the last class asked about that they were confused that I could show, but what burning questions do you have for Scratch? I've, uh, I was able to download images from my Right. But if you download images of like people right. and my kids and stuff, how can I actually go around them so that I can post them onto? Great, the great question. Okay, the way that you can do that, uh, well, we, we probably like—is this going to be a costume or a new sprite? 
Like, let's say this is a new sprite. You can go into any sprite, okay? And when you go to the costume, you can edit the costume, and then you can edit around. So you can get the eraser. Ah, I don't want him to have a head. He's going to be the headless bee. Okay? So that's now what that bee looks like. So when you import, click on edit, and then you go into the paint program and make the changes that you want. That's sort of a pixelate, you know, it's pixel by pixel. You could use a program like Photoshop or, or uh, GIMP or Seashore. Though GIMP and Seashore are free for Mac and Windows like Photoshop. And you could edit in those if you wanted to and, and do fancier things. But Scratch will let you use the eraser and erase pixels, and that's one way to do that. Okay? Any, another burning question? Yes? Is there a way to, like, show or hide Yes. Okay. So you're talking about make the stage hide and show, change the stage. Well, like if like you like if you have one sprite on one stage and you switch to another stage, uh huh. Use like a different set of sprites. They're like uncontrolled. Well, the the main thing for stages is be clicked on the stage and then uh, set the stage to. Well, let me get another background to. Let me see if this answers your question. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start out with the white um, the white background, which is my background one. When I get that broadcast, when I receive I'm tired, um, we're gonna switch to the to the bedroom, and so we're gonna say switch this to bedroom one. Okay, so this is no, is that right? Yeah. Okay, so now it runs and the bedroom changes. Is that what you're talking about? How to how to trigger a, um, a background change? Kind of, but like, um, I, like on mine, I would have like on the first stage, like I would have a sprite, and then that sprite would need to hide in the second stage, and the next sprite is gone. I think the, the scripts just have to be, you know, sprite by sprite. So okay. I like the broadcast slide. You can do it with timings, yeah. you know, to figure out in 10 seconds I'm going to need this to happen. Yeah. I, the broadcast can be nice, too, to say scene two. But you have to, I think, do it sprite by sprite. You can't. The, the main way to group actions I, that I've figured out is the broadcast. Okay. I'm sure you have more questions. Remember, if you are fearful at all about your assignment, I am not here to... You know, I'm not Steven Spielberg by any means, and I'm not a scratch expert. I want you to play with this program and learn with this program and then just share what you've learned. Some people were very concerned in the 9 o'clock class that theirs was not going to be really fancy. That's okay. But, you know, the whole idea is on your post, link to what you've done. If you have trouble uploading, and some people have, then um, you can... You know, contact me and we can you can email it in. But hopefully you're going to be able to share it. Have your post, you know, link to what you've created and talk about what you've learned. Okay, and you'll max the assignment. This is a project. You can't if you blow this off and don't do anything. It's kind of obvious because you know there's nothing in that project. But everyone's going to learn stuff, and um, hopefully you're going to have some fun. So have a very safe spring break. We'll see everybody after spring break. And remember, this is. Uh, not do your scratch stuff until Monday. I'm going to change the calendar right now.